Well, they need to get off. Hello and welcome to episode number 192 of Grumpy Old Ben's for Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where you just can't believe the polling. And from America's left coast, where malicious compliance is still compliance. I'm Ryan Pemrose. Yes. Well, no. Why? Is, is it why? Really? Uh, well, as far as Apple's concerned. Well, uh, Apple is complying with uh, their th- this drops into my first story. Apple is complying with the uh, right to repair laws by uh, they put out a self-service repair program. And uh, I fix it has come out with their analysis of the self-service repair program. And short version is that as far as I fix it is concerned, uh, it makes the M1 MacBooks even less repairable. So their system to help people repair their hardware actually further impedes the repairing of hardware so the the apple self-service repair kit was uh, you know people complained a lot that apple would only let people repair their hardware at uh an official apple store or apple sanctioned store or someone that got the the kiss of apple from on high correct because even if even though you could buy these kits from places like i fix it if you try to do that to your phone and you screw it up well then you're screwed because they were unauthorized. Right. So Apple finally came out a few months ago with an, uh, a way that people can repair their own stuff in an authorized way. And, and the, I mean, admittedly, the idea behind this is that unauthorized repair shops order one of these kits and say, you know, Apple, you know, cause Apple charges what a, a quarter of the cost of the phone just to repair it at one of their official places. And, uh, you know, one of these other guys would be like, well, I-, I can repair it for you for 40 bucks, but I don't offer any guarantees. And now Apple's providing them a self-service repair kit. Or if you're feeling adventurous and know your way around the tiny little tools that you have to manipulate with your pinky and your fingernails, um, then you can do it at home. But if you do it at home, uh, the self-repair kit costs over $500. So not really economical if you only want to repair one device. Um, and uh, I fix it really analyzed the battery of the MacBook M1 uh, because uh, if you're careful with your laptop, then you can protect every component for quite a long time. You could keep using that machine for 10 years if you're careful, except for the one component, which in any device, any battery operated device is a consumable is the battery batteries wear out. There's nothing you can do in normal use that will prevent a lithium ion battery from just going away. It, it, so that limits the whole product when you weld the battery into the device. And, you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily going to say that Apple is doing that intentionally to force planned obsolescence so that you have to keep buying new hardware from them. But I'm strongly suggesting it. Well, of course they are. Because 
even with the plan where you can bring it into an Apple store and have it fixed, it's not convenient. Most people don't live five minutes away from an Apple store and hauling your laptop somewhere, assuming I don't know how long it then takes for that to be done, where it's like, oh, just leave it for a couple of days. Most people can't be without their main machine for a couple of days. And the last MacBook I owned was one of the last few that you could remove the battery from the machine easily. You didn't even have to you know, play with any screws. You pushed a latch and the battery came out, which. Oh, those were the days. I know. Which for people who use their laptops, you know, that were the high, you know, the, the high users, you know, use the, you know, just really needed to be on the machine all the time. Well, you could carry a spare battery with you. So it wasn't even just when the battery was wearing out. It was like, wow, I could just pop the old one out, pop a new one that's refreshed in and keep working. Well, you're right. That all changed when this stuff started being soldered in. And then this was all, well, you know, people are demanding smaller and smaller laptops, which, okay, people like smaller and smaller laptops. I'm not. I've tried using a 13-inch laptop. It literally, like, my hands do not fit on the keyboard. I cannot touch type on anything smaller than 15-inch. Same here. I, it's just, I would not even try. And then having the eyes get even worse than, yeah, 15 No, I understand lots of people don't don't touch type. And if you can hunt and peck on a very small keyboard, see also phones. But yeah. Well, yeah. If, like, I'm, if I'm actually composing documents, let me touch type. And for that, I need a keyboard. At least, the whole thing needs to be at least a 15-inch. And they don't offer, it's not like, hey, there's the Mac Air, which is we've made this as small as possible, which I think it was originally. That's why there was a MacBook and an Air. I would get, hey, if you're buying the Mac Air, you want the smallest you can get and you're going to give up the convenience of having a battery you could swap. Yes. And for that, you got a foldable computer, the first one. Yeah. Well, even when it, they didn't it want may it, not have been in, it, it may not have been worked after you folded it, but it was a foldable computer. Plenty of people learned that thing when crunches. throwing it into the back seat. Yeah, crunches right up. But this is an interesting thing. We uh, I tried to do a repair on an old iPhone, and I knew going in that it was 50-50 that I was just going to destroy it but i had a free kit that was i was sent you know a couple years before to do a review and i never got around to it so i i gave it a try and the little cables that you have to deal with inside of the iphone was almost impossible for anybody with without the right you know you need a magnifier and like a robotic arm and working eyes yes which is also very helpful when you're dealing with very small cables and then, I'm, I'm finally at this state at, at the age where I have to wear reading glasses to use my computer, which trust me, <laughs> is frustrating. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I used to be able to work inside of those little tiny cases. Now I'm thinking, no, no, not without a, you know, not without one of those big magnifying glasses with the ring light on it, which by the way, those things are cool. They are awesome. Then you can see maybe what you're doing, but even the battery that was in the iPhone, and this was an iPhone six, I believe was so glued in and there was no reason because there's no room for this thing to move around to begin with so anything sticky would have held that battery in place but no the thing was like glued the, the from top to epoxy. bottom yeah so trying to take that out and when i ended up getting the battery out the thing was bending and then i realized the thing was heating up like a mofo so yeah was- <laughs> <laughs> you've been 
battery, you start cracking the lithium cells. Uh-huh. And then at that point, if you've pulled the pin, you better just throw it. Yeah, I did. I pretty much threw it out the front door. I'm like, it's probably going to explode or something. So uh, picked it up the next morning, got it in the garbage. They're dangerous stuff, but this concept, I mean, that I'm with the ability to repair things, but I'm also understanding that it is not easy for the average consumer to do the repair. I would not suggest most people try to replace a phone battery. I would not suggest most people try to open up their laptop and do anything more than change memory out if that's a possibility with your laptop or swap a hard drive. I mean, I come I come from an early age of computing where uh, one of the requirements of being able to be a computer user was that you have to have confidence opening up that case. And I absolutely value people's desire not to do it. But I do think that there's still a lot of value in knowing, in understanding what's going on inside of that little magic box in your hand. Well, that is good to know, but it's also good to be able to have. Because there's a few places in our little town here, and I'm still kind of surprised that do things like computer repair. And I'm like, do people still bring machines in? I mean, I'm guessing they must. But I want these little mom and pop shops, if they want to get certified to be able to do the Apple repairs or whatever company repairs, I think that's a great idea. Because there, I can get to one of those shops within like five minutes rather than driving 25 minutes to an Apple store, which... I don't know See, why, I, you know, you should be forced to go to the manufacturer for this stuff. I, I was with you right up until you said certified. Well, and I, mean, I mean, the the certification in the case of if you're doing warranty repairs, which I, I, I guess how often Apple are those? To, and, and this is the core of the right to repair argument. And in fact, goes to my ideas that uh, radical capitalism is the only way that we avoid gatekeepers. And that is that. Apple should not be able to gatekeep who is allowed to crack open one of those devices. First sale doctrine and all that. Once you sell the phone to a consumer, that phone belongs to the consumer. Once I buy a phone from Apple, I I would never do that. But once I buy a phone from someone, it's my freaking phone. Right. They don't still own it. Joey down the street to repair it. And if he screws it up, then you're out, which is exactly. And that's that's where certification would come in. Like, hey, wait. You know that uh, if something gets screwed up, your warranty is not screwed. Okay. Although, again, I think I know where you're coming from. But when you say certification, a lot of people will assume that it's it's gatekeeping by the manufacturer. And I, I'm uncomfortable with that. Right. But, well, I don't so, want Apple to be able to go, oh, no, this uh, service center. We don't want them to be able to do this. So we're well, that's not literally what they've done for the last 20 years. Well, yeah, they've been bring it to us. We'll take care of you. Well, yeah. And more importantly, you know, if. If you bring it to they, I mean, there were a couple of stories over the last five years where uh, if they were able to detect that you uh, that you had taken it to Joe's screen repair shop and Joe swapped out the screen and Joe wasn't authorized to do this, then Apple would shut your phone off. And right. you know, the, oh, yeah. the way that they detected it originally, like early on. What they had was uh, some very custom screws or little bits of tape or a fleck of paint or something, some indicator that said whether or not it was done by an official Apple shop. And if that indicator showed that it had ever been opened by somebody who wasn't Apple licensed and didn't have the exact right tool, then 
you take it into an expert bar or whatever the genius bar, what the hell are the Apple store ones? Anyway, you take it into an official Apple store and you say, Hey, um, I need a software something. And they look at it and say, Oh, you've opened this. And you're like, but that shouldn't matter. Doesn't matter. We can't service it. Screw you. And then later on, Apple even developed technological means like little circuits inside there that if you ever pry the front off, it breaks the circuit. And now there's a, a bit of data in the operating system that says this thing has been opened and Apple will refuse you updates. That actually happened on, I don't remember which device. I, I'm just saying Apple has been positively evil about all of these things for a while. But they're doing it for your convenience to make sure your device is always working up to their specifications. Well, let, let me tell you what iFixit learned about Apple's commitment to convenience after they released the, the self-repair, self-service repair kit. Um, the self-service repair kit, it costs $500. If you want to do it yourself, you're out that much money just for the kit itself. Then they will sell you. Uh, the battery or component, but that's not quite what you get. They they're specifically talking about the M1 MacBook. Um, the battery you can't buy the battery. You they don't sell the battery. There is no battery. What there is is the top case component with battery and keyboard, and that is what they will sell you. Now the top case, quote unquote, is pretty much the whole computer. So. The self-repair kit, $500, also comes with instructions. Here's what you have to do to replace the battery. And then they give you instructions, which are 162 pages of instructions. Why is it that much? Well, let's ignore the fact that there's illustrations and stuff. Okay, that's fine. But 162 is still outrageous. What do you have to do to replace the battery in an M1 MacBook? You literally have to pull the top case and keyboard out and then... You have to meticulously remove every single component attached to the bottom of that thing. You have to remove the memory. You have to remove the CPU. You have to remove the network cards. You have to remove the the connectors and everything that go to the... You have to disassemble the entire thing because the battery is an integral component to what is effectively the main board that the whole computer is mounted on. Which then, also gives you to the point now where the only rational way to replace the battery is to replace a bunch of parts that aren't broken. Yes. So what Apple is really doing is saying, no, we want you to replace the whole thing. They are making it cheaper. They are making it easier to just buy a new MacBook. They, anyway, so I fix it swears that this is less repairable than before. I don't see that they've made their case that it's any less repairable than than when Apple didn't let you repair it all and you had to kind of feel at it yourself, which is what I fix it always did. It but it's still crappy. I guess less repairable because before your only option was to take it to somebody who knew what the hell they were doing. But this Apple doesn't want you to repair your stuff. Apple wants you to throw away your MacBook and buy a new one. How environmental is that? This is malicious compliance with the right to repair laws. Now, I don't think any company's different. I don't think Samsung. I don't think any of the other big laptop makers. Nobody's going. Let's not bring sense into my (laughs) anti-Apple rant. I'm trying to hate on one company in particular. I mean, they're bad. I mean, I get it. They were one of the first ones up there, but it's like, this is the route everybody's going. 
And the argument you bring up there, I'm surprised that all of these green folks who are so into get your electric vehicles and get your solar panels and blow into your windmills, they all have like the latest Apple phone and laptop and go, no, this is great. Uh, it's, It's very selective when it comes down to this stuff. And I do get the more you try to miniaturize something, the harder it's going to be to repair, even for the professionals, whatever that may mean. But uh, I don't see it going the other way anytime soon. I don't see us going back to the land where laptops, you could just pop an external, you know, new battery in without, you know, taking the case off with my, I think it was a 2009 MacBook Pro. You could even access the hard drive and memory very simply by just removing the battery and it was like underneath that. So it was very easy to do those few things. You didn't have to take the whole thing apart, which these were the things people knew, as you said. There are some things that are always going to be either people want to upgrade them or they're going to eventually wear out with memory hard drives. This is definitely a case where especially with the hard drives in Hard drives and memory don't necessarily wear out with use. They only wear out with abuse or something exceptional. Well, well the old hard drives, the SSDs old hard drives did wear out. They were consumable, but, but now everything's got an SSD. And an SSD is not consumable like within your lifetime. We, we, I, I kind of imagine the average lifetime of a device is, is in the 10 to 15 years. Cause after that, it's really not useful for purpose anymore. I mean, just the way that, that computing changed, but for 10 to 15 years, an SSD is not going to wear out if it wasn't defective at the beginning. No, but you wanted uh, to, well, with Apple, when you see what they charge to go from the, you know, at the time I remember from uh, like a, you know, 200 megabyte, you know, whatever it was, SSD uh, or, you know, gigabyte up to a terabyte rather. I mean, the price difference was, yeah, your best bet was to buy the least you could from Apple and then swap it out yourself. Yeah, imagine that, including the $500 self-repair kit that uh-huh. lets you open the, yeah. <laughs> this is exactly the problem. And I mean, I get it, but I Apple may be one of the worst offenders, but they're not the only offender. And no, they're be- not the only offender, but you did you did point out, you said uh, that we, we may not be able to get back to the part where batteries are removable. And I will tell you, the only, the only, laptop that i own is a dell xps it has a removable battery i can swap the battery i actually only bought one battery with it and frankly that battery's wearing out because this is a very old laptop and i can't really use the laptop without being tethered to the wall but if i wanted to be able to take that laptop on the go i could go to dell.com right now and go buy another battery and suddenly it'd be a laptop again because they're removable not everybody fixes the battery in the device. And I think there's obviously a market for that, especially amongst people who, oh, I don't know, care about the environment like me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. That's your, uh, that's your hill. That's (laughs) your platform. Uh, But I I am the only environmentalist in the entire computing world. And that's why I want removable batteries. I believe the XPS 15 that I got three years ago does not have a removable battery on it. I think really? they, yeah, I think that was stopped. Uh, was maybe shortly after that one that you have. However, old okay, that well then I'll, I'll take. If that's the case, then I'll take back any praise that I may have accidentally sent Dell's way. They're all a bunch of bastards. 
I'm just saying that, it, well, I, I have not done extensive investigation on what laptops are available, but I have to imagine just for the sake of my own sanity and not weeping in dread for the computing industry that somebody out there is still making removable batteries. And in, you know, again, in radical capitalism, that's the thing that you would have to buy if this is an important, an important topic for you. Yeah. Well, it's just like the headphone jack. That was a big thing when that was removed from the iPhone and then all the Androids, even though they made fun of Apple and they used it to sell their devices for like a year or two, most of them have followed suit now. It's all uh, it's all a big scam. I mean, oh, the, look, this phone next to me is a five year old Samsung that still has a headphone jack. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I have a two year old Samsung that still has the headphone jack, but uh, there's a lot of them that have switch. I don't know if the new Samsungs have one or not. The latest and greatest, the whatever. I don't know. Whatever, whatever retard decided that that A2DP Bluetooth was somehow a substitute for headphone uh, clearly has had nails pounded into his eardrums. Yeah, they're not the same. They're not the same. And Bluetooth A2DP has never had enough bandwidth to be an acceptable listening experience. You can get a, a grainy phone call like on the order of of old style pots type quality, but no. <laughs> hey, some people it's, like going back to those halcyon days. Actually, come to think of it, I I don't know why this is. I've never figured it out. Um but like the old style landlines sometimes had a uh, better audio quality than some of the cell phone calls today. Oh, like you listen no to people call into podcasts like how many years have we had absolutely positively crap audio quality from our telephone service? Why? How, how can this not have been fixed by now? Well, yeah, because the pot stuff, you didn't break up. You didn't garble. Uh, you know, no, it wasn't the, the pot stuff. You would have have, you know, 20 miles of copper line carrying a 40 volt DC signal. And yet somehow it had better quality than the crappy ass cell phone calls that we get today. People accept it because almost nobody uses that now. It's all we just use our data. We just text. <laughs> that might be it. Nobody does voice calls. Has anyone considered that nobody does it because it sucks? Maybe. Because you're absolutely right about the, the early days of the cell phones. The call quality was actually better. And now you dropped a lot. Don't get me wrong. But the the quality was pretty good because most of the cell phones were pumping out way more watts than uh, they're allowed to now. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not convinced it was very good back in the days when cell phones were analog and you were basically getting a tan by holding it up to your face. <laughs> I had one then. it wasn't bad. The quality was actually <laughs> it was not also bad. the one that. Speaking of removable batteries, that was the one that had like I, my dad had one. I I didn't. I wasn't trusted with that sort of. But the brick uh, phone, the brick phone. This thing was it was like twelve inches long and uh, the size of a medium sized textbook, and the battery was three pounds and gave you about a half hour of call time. Yeah, they were very skinny. They were. Uh really they were like a brick i mean if you if you were to see a normal brick that you would use in construction that's about what these things were with an antenna on top yeah but i had one even before it, that it, i had and one you that held was, it up to your face and, you know <laughs> place here for cancer yeah i had one even before that though that was a strictly car only when uh you know it was hardwired into the electrical system of the car 
and you had an antenna that back then they had the, where you can have the magnetic antennas and stuff. But, uh, that was back in the good old days where you had a handset, like right down on the console that then connected you with the cord. It looked like you were on an old fashioned phone in the car, which was yeah, also awesome. Which- which, you know, a 10-year-old me thought was absolutely the coolest thing that ever existed. It was. And, I mean, back, just to show you the difference, and I think we probably talked about this at one point, but the difference between how they do cell phone charges now and how they did that then, I got this phone because of a guy that I was working for was getting a new phone, and he wanted me to put it in. I put it in for him. And I'm like, what are you doing with the old phone? I don't care. I don't want it. So I took it and I activated it. And the difference between now and then was you really only paid by the minute that you used. I mean, it may have been 20 cents a minute, but if you only used it for emergencies and you didn't use it all month, you didn't get billed. You paid literally by what you used. Yes. And that made it a lot more fun. I mean, yeah. And that, that also, by the way, this just for context, for some of our younger people, this was back in the day. and. And I understand you millennials will have no concept of how anybody could even think this way. But if you called your neighbor or your local radio station, that call was free as long as you wanted to stay connected. But if you called across a state line, you had to pay an exorbitant amount per minute. Oh, sometimes it was even a few cities over, depending on how the uh, everything was gridded up. And actually, I said local radio station. I grew up in Vancouver, Washington. All of our local radio stations were in Portland, Oregon. It was long distance to Portland. There was, yeah. Just across the river. There were local calls and there were long distance calls. And this was also an issue when the internet started, kids, when you had to use a dial-up modem. And uh, if the number you had for your local service was not in your local area, you were going to get hit with a big phone. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, there were, there were entire, uh, modem banks developed where like the, the big ISP multi-user BBS platform, which was also a new thing. The idea that multiple people could be on a service at once. That was crazy live chat, but they actually had, because they were based in Portland. They had, a bank of modems in an office building across the river in Vancouver so that we in Vancouver could make local calls to that and connect to their service. Makes sense. Which was, I mean, it was amazing. It was people nowadays with the internet are thinking, Oh, well that's easy. You just connect to the IP and the, Oh no, we didn't have IP. We had (laughs) dial up and Fidonet. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you couldn't do a podcast between uh, Seattle and Chicago and be like, oh, no, no that's that just would not be an option. We we might have been able to do a phone call between Seattle and Chicago. But now, you know, you're looking at sixty dollars in in fees to the phone company just to keep the line open for that long. Yes, I never did this. I was uh, listening to Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s podcast and they were talking about when he was growing up, when the papyrus NASCAR racing game came out. And I knew they did some online stuff. I never did it because you had to call in, you know, as you would have to. And it was a long distance call for him. And he's like, he was sharing the uh, the double wide or whatever with his brother. And they were sharing all of the uh, utilities. And the first phone bill came after they were doing the uh, the papyrus racing by having to connect to a long distance call on the phone. 
it was like 450 bucks for a phone bill. And it was like, uh, what's this for? <laughs> Online racing was a little oh, yeah. more expensive back then, you know? Uh, oh, or, or just, I, you just reminded me that those were also the days when if, if you had a roommate, of course, it never made sense to have two phone lines come into the same residence. Right. But if you had a roommate, there was constant recriminations about who's the one who made this 30 minute call to Des Moines. Uh-huh. Or it was the asshole that picked up the other extension while you were on the uh, oh, and yes. it disconnected immediately. I mean, I'm not quite old enough to remember when when phones were party lines where your neighbors could do that. Yes, but same. yes, we had multiple extensions inside the house. But we and I always knew a- I always knew how to connect it so it wouldn't click. Because well, I might have been the person who did that. Right. See, uh, you don't just disconnect everybody. It was uh, 95, 96, right after I got married. And we did get a secondary phone line. And our connection was uh, on 24 oh, Some kind of wealthy person? Yeah, I know. It was horrible. Um, it was Interact, I think, was the internet service that we had back then. And, you know, that was a lot of these places didn't want you to stay connected. But it's like. When you were downloading, you know, like one song, it would take like three days. It was going to take a while. I, I, oh, yeah. I remember how elated I was when broadband came out, the cable modem. And if I'm not mistaken, the first cable modem we had was through AT&T online. And I believe the download speed was like three meg. Or maybe one and a half meg. Wow. I mean, it was it was but, slow. Hey, that's fast. <laughs> well, yeah, I had. I, I remember having times when when I had to I had a limit on the size of a file that I could download from a BBS or wherever because I would connect and initiate the download. But because it was the parents phone line, I had to be off by the time dad woke up at 730 in the morning. That would make sense. And so this is how much time I have. This is my bandwidth. This is allowing for error correction. OK, I can uh, download something. Let's see. Well, it's still early. I can download up to four megabytes. <laughs> Everything goes perfectly. Yeah. It was a 30, what, a 33.6 modem at that point. Uh, was it up to I mean, 56? It was, it was a real ordeal getting your porn back then. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was not instantaneous. Net net in the troll room. And that's if you're not there when we do these shows live Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central, you're missing out trollroom.io talking about war dialing and the phone bill. You got you had to be a phone freaker if you were going to be war dialing you had to avoid you, those. you almost had to be a phone freaker to know what war dialing was yes yeah <laughs> well i mean if you saw war dialing became i mean nobody knows the name because i don't think they ever use it but if everybody that saw war games understands yes the war dialing of just dialing every phone number in within a range to see if anything yeah, I don't picks know. up I, the the local phone companies had to hate that movie because everybody suddenly got the idea. I can dial every number too, and there we'll find stuff. And then there, were, of course, the bulletin boards had a list of things where, it like, hey, I got something that picked up here. Do you know what it is? So, of course, you know, it became oh, yeah. very quick for the security by well, obscurity that, to go by the wayside. That culture hasn't changed. You go to the dark net now. They're like, well, I noticed that there's an open PHPBB on this IP address. What do you, you right? Know, I've, I've got, I've got a list of, of IP addresses that all have open SSH ports. If you want to, you know, like, 
if you want the list, it'll be, uh, you know, 1200 Bitcoins. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, just different, yeah. Just different technology. <laughs> yeah. Different technology, but war games had, I mean, it was a, uh, a crazy far blown out story, but they got a few things, right? I didn't understand how he was doing war dialing. And if any, maybe NetNed knows when you were doing war dialing back in the day, you actually needed a modem that was not an acoustic coupler modem. Yeah. That part always bugged me. Right. Well, not back then. Cause I didn't understand the difference, but what, you know, having rewatched it this decade, it always bugged me that, okay. Acoustic coupler modem means that you have to dial on your own. Yes. Well, it means that it was actually communicating with your phone's head handset. So the thing you talk into goes into a little device yeah. with the microphone and a and a speaker and then it goes to the microphone on and, the opposite and you know that audio phone. quality was great with a couple round trips through an, a DAC and an adc and it worked which was the craziest shit sure because it, it was sign tones uh-huh and it worked somehow and it was magical but you couldn't hang up the phone and dial without the ability of actually hanging up the phone because no matter I, what you're doing into the handset, as far as I know, you couldn't hang up and dial and just keep hanging up and dialing. I but, do want to thank you, though, for making me feel really young because my first modem was a Hayes compatible 2400 baud internal modem that I could just issue an ATDT command to. Yes. Finally and got so to that. I never had to manually dial or acoustically couple anything. 300 baud acoustic coupler was the first one. I think I still have it somewhere. It's, I think it's a Texas Instruments, uh, probably still in a box somewhere. I should uh, put that on the shelf just because it was pretty. No, my first modem was 1200 baud. I just upgraded it very, very quickly because <laughs> I realized I couldn't download text as fast as I could read it. Yeah, but 300 baud, man. That's where I started. 300 baud. I couldn't, I couldn't send text as fast as I could type it. And as I've complained about before, not only did I have a 300 baud modem, but I had a Radio Shack TRS-80 color computer, which for some fucking reason was only 32 characters wide on the screen when we live in a 40 character wide world at the time. But it has color. I know. I know. <laughs> And it had a slot on the side if you wanted to put like a game cartridge in. But otherwise, and I know we've talked oh. about this before, too. But kids, if you wanted to save your data back then, you recorded it onto a cassette tape. Okay, again, I feel young. <laughs> You've never I, had to do that. I started in the age of floppy disks. Five and a quarter inches. Yeah, no, no. I, I started with the, the, cassette the big tapes. ones that were literally floppy. <laughs> I remember. Well, yes. And I remember getting binders when you would buy like games and stuff for the color computer, like a binder, like, you know, you'd get your business stuff in three hole punch and then little like plastic holes that held all the cassette tapes. I mean, cause there could be like eight cassette tapes for one program. And then if that, if that tape ever got pinched or screwed up, well, your whole game or whatever that was, was gone. Cause it was never going to right. tell me you worked with punch cards. No, that I never did. No punch cards. Although I originally did start okay, learning basic, which on a machine that may have taken punch cards, but it was a mainframe in a local high school that was a V something or other. I forget what it was. I might be able to look it up, yeah. but it was, you know, I've, that was kind of amazing. Like, oh, wow, you could, uh, you could type things in and it would save them. My, my first computer was a Tandy 1000 with 128 kilobytes of ram oh you'll never need more C 
and a CGA adapter. No, no, we actually did take it into Radio Shack and for the cost of like a thousand dollars, we got it upgraded all the way to 640 kilobytes of RAM. Well, see, that was overkill. Well, there were a lot of programs that I needed to run that needed more than 128. And that grew exponentially. But 640 ought to be enough for anybody. Right. Bill Gates will tell you. And, and I remember that it was, it was the family computer for quite a while until I discovered a little program that came on the, the operating system floppy. This was, this was when your system wouldn't boot up until you put a floppy in first. Right. Right. And, and the operating system floppy had a program called basic and I ran that and I learned how to use it. And suddenly it was my computer. And I remember doing things like <laughs> writing graphics programs for the 160 by 120 CGA screen that had four colors. Wow. In writing little programs that said, hello, Ryan, is this you? If then else here. Yeah. So very. No, basic. no, I was I was writing graphical programs that like you push on the arrow keys and it would move a pixel. Damn. I, mean, I was I was elite hacker back then. <laughs> Do you want to come back to the 21st century now? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, it was way more fun back then. I think people weren't being scammed out of their life I had a whole lot less and, existential dread back then. I'll tell you that much. Really? I know. That's it. It was just fun. It was exploration. And that's something that I feel is really just gone now overall when it comes to the whole computing thing. I mean, I know people are writing games or doing cool stuff, but there's, you'll never recapture the, wow, can we do this? You know, what's nobody's ever done this. Nobody's ever created a, you know, graphical game. I mean, we started with stuff. And I think we talked about once before, like Zork and these other text adventures where the whole game was just text on a screen. That's like, you're standing in the middle of a field. You see an orc. And then you it was like, a golden age when we were also preoccupied with whether or not we could do something. We never stopped to think about whether we should. Right. And then you started doing a whole lot of stuff and it became really cool. And now it's just like, yeah, it, it's too much of just an appliance now. You know, it's too all much. these things have become. Well, it's because people are willfully stupid and technology allows them to be that. I think one of the things that I think made computing so magical back then was the the bar to entry was much higher. You, you had to be able to reason out what the hell the machine was going to do because it wouldn't do it for you. Well, come on. There would, a lot of people had, and and I think it's uh, Baron Spud, the mighty is one of them is a Commodore 64 guy from way back. And I remember I never had a C64, but a friend of mine did. And most of the games that he had came from, there was a magazine subscription. I don't remember what the magazine was called, but it would have like, you know, pages of basic code that you typed in if you wanted the game. And it was to learn to program and stuff like that. But you had to type in the program yourself. It was a hell of a way uh, to learn. I I mean, I was on DOS, not not Commodore, but uh, you, when you used to, you you'd run the program debug to enter assembly codes and then enter the codes. It was uh PC world PC something. One of the PC mags that would print those things. And I'd type them all the time. And suddenly I get myself a nice, useful little utility. And this one. Would, yeah. 
Yeah, the troll room right in on this uh, Compute and Compute's Gazette, as well as one called Gaz, were these magazines. And and it was great. It was magical. And now it's just, uh, it's a little less magic. Because now you just go download stuff, and half the stuff you download, yeah. you worry that you're going to get a malware that's going to just look for your crypto or your banking information, and then you wake up broke. Yeah, the the last thing I want to call out is, uh, I, you just reminded me, and I just have to give you this image, the most impressive and extensive porno mag. It it was, it was a porno mag. It was uh, an online shopping catalog, and it was also a piece of furniture or a weapon, if need be. Was the do you remember PC Shopper? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was uh... you. You just reminded me of that one. Well, you used I, to I, I would to go through and be like, that. I want this. I want this. I want this. Didn't, they, didn't that change to computer shopper or something back? Or computer shopper. Was that it? I think so. But that I, was when I, I, I buying the parts to build a machine right at, you know, right, even right when the internet was beginning, that was still the way you did it was you bought this and you yeah. looked through all the companies and you read all the reviews for all the parts you wanted to put together. And uh, sometimes after the Tandy 1000, which was exorbitantly expensive, even for the time, uh, I think I built personally built my next five machines. <laughs> oh, I did, too. For years, I built my own machines until it just became too much of a it pain. Was beige box or nothing. Right. OK. How do you usually end these flashbacks? <laughs> well, let's talk about a poll that is okay. happening now on the No Agenda Social. This is this is unprecedented to me. This is absolutely Uh-oh. insane because I posted a poll. Did did Gene get I'm sorry. Did Gene <laughs> somehow get a bunch of extra a vote dump overnight? Is that what happened? No, the, the opposite. Oh, he's in Mexico. He may never come back. But I, <laughs> <laughs> good luck to him. I was just, he, he might be the smart one. It may be. And I was like, OK, this is all kind of marketing. But I was kind of curious. I'm like, because I've. You know, I've been doing shows with you. I've been doing shows with Gene. I've been doing shows with Larry. I did a show with Dame Jennifer the other day. And Dame Jennifer over on No Agenda Social, Jennifer Buchanan, like the most popular yes. person on No Agenda Social after Adam Curry, I think. I want to say I listened to that one live on Monday and that was a great show, but there was no rage. Yes, there was no rage. I mean, I tried, but it's she hard. She had to- the infectious giggling, <laughs> but that that doesn't not a substitute for Larry's rage. Less rage, although the elements were trying to kill her at the time. I've never I mean, you've had airplanes flying over. Larry's had some weather in the area, but the, there were times the thunder was louder than she was talking and it was oh, like, yeah, we could hear it on the stream. <laughs> like, are you, are you OK over there? That doesn't sound good. But I figured she would run away with this poll, but she hasn't. Because I'm like, well, okay, out of all the people I've been podcasting with over the last few weeks, which co-host do you enjoy hearing me with most? I didn't say which co-host do you like most. I mean, it could just be that I'm bringing everybody else down. So, I mean, there's that aspect of Well, we weren't going to tell you. Right. And uh, I was expecting Dame Jennifer to run away with this. But right now you are, which is very, um, there's people that think you have a bot farm. Which is always possible. I mean, you are a programmer. I mean, who knows? Well, not not that you'll be able to prove. Right. This is the, the beauty of it. But there was a comment, and I don't remember who said this, and I apologize for that. And I could probably scroll for five minutes and find it. But uh, one guy said he voted for you because he loves the adversarial vibe of grumpy old Ben's. And I'm like, oh, is well, that- fuck you for that. Yes. Like, is that the trick? 
Is that the the whole deal? It's like, oh, that's, if the more we pretend we See, hate each other, you should you should podcast with more people who hate you. Yes, it would be a much better. Uh, See, Larry's too nice, or Gene's too nice, Dame Jennifer too nice. You you don't have that problem. No, no, that that's not really something I do. <laughs> but Dame Jennifer is second on the list right now with twenty eight percent. I'm just waiting for her followers to see the poll because then everybody will get wiped out. But Larry yeah, Larry's that, third, and, and Sir Gene's at, in single digits right now. So the Russian I, bots not working for him. Yeah, I don't know exactly what's happened. I'm I'm going to go ahead and assume because this is what usually happens that that Mastodon changed something yet again and broke compatibility with yet another browser. But Mastodon does not let me vote in a poll. And for whatever reason, <laughs> they've decided that if you haven't voted, you can't see the results. Is it Java? Do you don't have Java on? Is there is that needed? No, to see I, the- no I switched over. I'm actually running uh, NAS in Chromium because they so horribly broke uh, my Pale Moon experience. And, and, and no, Mastodon doesn't work at all without JavaScript on. But, you know, it had an exception. It had this. It had that. But, you know, I had exceptions to the cookie filter, but whatever reason, they just straight broke compatibility. It I tried no turning one. off. I, <laughs> I tried even like loading up a window where I disabled all of the heavy protection stuff like the, the JavaScript blocker, the, the ad blocker, the cookie blocker, the, uh, the user agent rewriter. I turned all of those off and tried loading it. No, they just straight broke compatibility with Pale Moon. So now I'm using Chromium for NAS. And it lets me post. It lets me read. It doesn't let me vote in polls. Wow. That's, that's very, uh, that's wrong. That's silencing you. Well, either that, or they've read some of my posts and are like, no, we don't need this guy's opinion messing up all our polls. Could be possible. It might not just, it might just be no agenda social, but I'm surprised that there is not a good. You think my poll, my poll voting ability got swept away in the last purge? Maybe, but I'm surprised there's not a alternative way to experience no agenda social and other mastodon sites that's one of these programming geniuses that we have as part of the community that haven't come up with a better solution than just going to the browser to to do this i mean you've got the app on the phone i use a thing called tusky that works fairly well yeah, would think i, there use, would be I one. use a 2018 version of tusky before they went fully woke did they go woke ah oh, geez what happened there uh, well, what, what happened was when Gab started to federate early on, I don't know if they ever finished the process, but when it was announced that Gab was going to federate, the Tusky people lost their fucking minds and started hard coding, which instances that their app would refuse to connect to period. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People have Baron Spud the mighty. He uses a browser. I mean, I guess the browser is the way to go. I mean, it works, but I mean, I would like something that could be, uh, adjusted a little bit more i certainly use a browser most of the time because i don't like computing on my phone yeah well that's true you shouldn't be computing on your phone you should have a laptop with a removable battery it's the only way to compute my my computer has a removable battery well wait no it doesn't (laughs) it does well, it does. The UPS, the UPS on the floor is technically a removable battery. Yes. Which is, I mean, again, the UPS will work with anything if you want to carry that around. Yeah. You uh, could take yeah, a I mean, couple could, car batteries and. Uh, yeah, you could you connect a lead acid battery. <laughs> uh-huh. I remember some of the stuff they were doing like back on Dignation back in the day where it's like, don't do this because you could blow yourself up. But, you know, if you ran yeah. a bunch of car batteries in series or something and. 
or in parallel. I don't remember which. I'm not good so with that's, electricity. That's another thing that, that, like, I learned this in high school because there was an electronics class in my high school. Yeah, I didn't but have that. Who the hell understands electronics these days? Oh no, you can't. You can't work. You know, work with with phone line voltage anymore. It's dangerous. Yeah, I used to lick the forty volt line. <laughs> yeah, that's that's way less dangerous than playing with stuff inside current electronics. Is I've had a few devices including well, some of uh, those capacitors will really yes, give you a jolt yes exactly it and that is what i was messing around with because i had uh it had to be one of these monitors that had the uh the light went out and it was obviously a blown capacitor so you know opening that up you bought a new capacitor got that soldered in but you have to be very careful when knowing like what is still holding a charge and what isn't and you don't want to uh you don't want to touch the stuff yeah, well, holding a charge. It's it's well, I, one of the things that if you worked much with with pulling apart electronic devices, and I did, one of the things you learned real early was how to recognize what of the weird doodads attached to the board, which ones are capacitors, and use a little bit of wire to short across the capacitor and watch it. Char- you know, the sparks fly. Yeah, and if it sparks, then you're like, I just saved myself some pain. Uh huh. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh- you know, opening up an old television set, an old CRT television set. It's like, you don't want to mess with the stuff inside of there. You do not. Oh, CRTs. That was, yeah, that was one thing I did not work. For. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you know, the, even the capacitors, like the capacitor could give you a massive shock, but there wasn't usually enough current behind it to do any real lasting damage. Those CRTs though, those were bombs. Uh-huh. And we're, I mean, they were like an electric transformer that, I mean, it, it literally operated by having a, a cancer causing ray. It was that powerful hitting the front of the tube and then you stare at it. And, and that glass was fortunately coated with a coating that would block most of the horrible things. But if your CRT was old enough or you, you, you know, jostled it wrong or damaged it somehow, some of that coating might come off. And now You've got death beams coming through your screen pointed at you. And we just watched that for hours on end. <laughs> well, well, especially when video games came out. Yeah. Sir yeah. Omaha is absolutely right. You knew it was working when you started tingling. I mean, that's how you, that's how you, yeah. you were getting the full experience when you're playing with your Atari 2600. Did you have a 2600? Are you too old? Uh, or you I had or, a 2600. And then one of my most joyous moments was uh, about. 12 months later when I upgraded it to a 4,800. Ooh, I went from the, the uh, 2,600 never got the, the 48. Was that the one that was kind of like half computer and half, uh, kind of, it was also the one that there were no games for. Yeah. Which is kind of a bit because the 72 was the next one that actually had real games. And I think we jumped to an Intellivision, which I think still had the best gaming controller ever at the time with the disc at the bottom and then like a telephone keypad on top and they had all the overlays so if you were playing like baseball you would put the baseball overlay in and then you could actually press you know the picture or whatever and it, they only had it had to be uh 12 I buttons had this. this one was the it was the the little rectangular pad that had the like with the the rubber gasket and a, a stick coming right out the center, and it had the uh, rubber suction cups on the bottom, so you could attach it right. to the surface you were on, and it had three buttons. The the good old Atari man. 
Yeah. How do we get back into nostalgia? It's like we don't want to talk about the current. Nobody wants to talk about the current stuff going on. That's probably it. Because politics sucks and it's going to suck for years. The unfortunate thing is you've mentioned before, if you try to go through and say, hey, we're just going to cover all tech stuff. I'm going to just do all the tech research. You go to all the tech sites and they're now overrun by political ideology first and foremost like oh look oh you know right it could oh, be like please tell a- me you're not about to steal my story no i don't think i am i'm just talking in general but i'm sure okay. you've got something that'll prove this which is oh wow there's a brand new thing about whatever technological stuff and you open it up and then the article starts with some, something you know bashing trump or something you know, it's just like can you just stay in your lane please yes well that that certainly has you know that is actually a hazard of trying to find tech news these days is every, yeah every every tech blog these days seems to try to attach their own political spin to things and you're like okay I just really want the news so you're you're absolutely you nailed it on that one that is that is a real hazard that I deal with every time I do research no the thing I was uh bringing up was uh uh Yelp has decided to swerve well outside of their lane and uh they have decided that um and this this came from a blog post on the Yelp site um, that crisis pregnancy centers are inherently misleading. You know what a crisis pregnancy center is? I would assume it, this is someplace you go if you think you're pregnant. It, yes. And it's a crisis. Uh, it is what Engadget actually in, in another article on this topic, Engadget referred to as an anti-abortion center. Oh, you mean the uh, place what, where the people are so mean and evil, they'll be like, you know, there is this thing called adoption, which is an option. Yes, that's the place. It's the place where you go because you're pregnant and you don't want to be pregnant. And they offer instead of just saying, well, if you know, you look pregnant and you're here, so let's get to chopping. Right. Instead, they actually talk to you and they tell you, hey, uh, there are other options. And have you considered entering into a, a you know, lovely, uh, you know, a wholesome life where you can raise a child and, and, and every once in a while, one of them will be like, have you considered accepting Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal savior? And some people are really against that sort of thing. It causes them to burn like kryptonite in the sun. Yeah. But these are places that you can go to talk about alternatives to abortion. And uh, a lot of people have labeled them as, anti-abortion centers because they're so horrible that if you want an abortion and you go to one of these places and you think it's an abortion center and instead they try to talk you out of having an abortion which is your of course god-given constitutional right to murder babies except it's not in the constitution i don't know that god would approve but what do i know i would think god would be on the other side of that one um never met the guy so you know he doesn't really wow you're assuming god's gender oh my I was going to I might go. I might go to hell for that too. I was going to use the Steve Martin joke, but I pulled back as a good Catholic boy, which was uh, <laughs> Steve Martin. One of the best, funniest bits I remember hearing, and I probably heard this when I was like ten or twelve years old. Which is uh, Steve Martin, you know, dying, getting up to the pearly gates with Saint Peter, and Saint Peter is like, ah, looking down. Yeah, you did. Uh, you know, this, this, and this. This isn't good. Uh, you know, you took the Lord's name in vain quite a bit, and. Uh, Steve Martin, I want to know how, how many times? And he's like, a million six. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it was the funniest thing. 
I mean, Steve Martin yeah. delivers it way better than I did, but that would be that would be my thought right there. Like, I did what? Oh. I, I here's my position on that. If God doesn't have a sense of humor, then I don't want to spend eternity with the dude. Yeah, or I mean, or gal. I'm not. I'm not judging. He definitely gave us our warped sense of humor. Yeah, but well, when it comes to these what? centers, I still don't understand one thing that is never talked about from any radical fucktard leftist is the emotional trauma that the females that have an abortion deal with months, years, decades later. They don't fucking care. They do not care about it. No, that's not their problem. That is exactly the same as, as the kid. You know, if, if a kid goes in there and gets his penis chopped off and then 10 years later goes, you know, I might've wanted this later and deals with emotional trauma. That's not the leftist problem either. Right. It's all about yeah. their political well, ideology today and getting what they want yeah. today. Get, well, no, it's all about getting what they want. Period. Uh, it, it, there's no time scale about it. It's, it's a, a first level analysis at only a uh, surface level only. And they are like, I want this. So the ends justify the means. Let's get it. And if they change what they want later, there will be no self-reflection. There will be no analysis of why something changed the just later. If they want something different than the ends justify the means, they'll do anything they want. Okay. You know what? I'm tired of whining about those people. Yelp. <laughs> yes. Put out a blog that reads like a chain of leftist dog whistles. And yes, I know I just used that term deal with it. Um, they use terms like, uh, Access to reproductive health care for underserved communities. And uh, this this one was money. As the fate of abortion rights hangs in the balance, we've increased our efforts to protect our users. So I guess unborn babies are not Yelp's users. Not yet. Not uh, Never. <laughs> because what Yelp has decided is that these anti-abortion centers, as, as Engadget calls it, Yelp actually does call them crisis pregnancy centers. These centers are misleading because when you search for I'm pregnant and don't want to be or, or whatever the term is, they pop up instead of a, an abortion chop shop. And when you go there, you will be you, you will, you know, dis, you, you will disapprove of Yelp because I wanted to have my baby chopped out of me. And instead they talked to me and tried to talk me out of it. And it was the most horrible traumatic experience I've ever had. And this is all Yelp's fault. And so Yelp is now putting up a label on any crisis pregnancy center. Uh, the label says uh, this actually I've got, I've got the image up. <clears throat> this is a crisis pregnancy center. Crisis pregnancy centers typically provide limited medical services and may not have licensed medical professionals on site. And that is that, you know, just like when Facebook puts up their fact check warning or whatever, that's what this is. This is a banner that pops up in front of the screen for the clinic that says, before you read this, let me make sure to adjust your bias against them. Right. Well, and, yeah. And I'm sure abortion yeah. clinics are all over then uh, Yelp. Yeah. And by the way, may not have licensed medical professionals on site. You know, that's also true of a lot of places like a grocery store or uh, an abortion center when they're all on their private yachts or or a hospital at night may not have medical professionals on site. 
That, that would be a but, very bad hospital if everybody goes home and leaves the patients there by themselves. I, how do you think this isn't what happened during COVID? You never know. Well, this was uh, one of the issues. I mean, there's been a lot of issues and uh, which then, you, of course, you got rid of a lot of the folks because they wouldn't take a vaccination. And uh, it's uh, it's an interesting time we live in. So basically Yelps uh, is, is now their moderators are, uh, are categorizing any place that wants to offer pregnancy services. And they are categorizing some of them as uh, crisis pregnancy centers, AKA right wing and putting a big warning label, just like Facebook does, just like Twitter does. Yelp has decided to jump on the partisan bandwagon and uh, have, have no fear. The censorship is coming. Well, it's one of the reasons that Yelp is dying. I've noticed this, and I'm not saying that Google is good because Google has been doing a lot of the same stuff, but I've noticed lately the number of reviews for everything from uh, restaurants to dentists to who, whatever you're looking for, Google has maybe 20 or more times what Yelp has. Yelp is still okay with some restaurants, does, but does Google publish their prices for those? Yeah, you know, I think they're free. Allegedly. I yeah, mean, yeah, so are the can, Amazon ones allegedly. Well, yeah, well, anybody can post and we all know it's not hard to get multiple Google accounts, which as uh, it pointed out in the troll room by, uh, was it Baron Spud the mighty, how like 85% of all of it, it was blitzed that 85% of all reviews online are bullshit. And, that's probably pretty close to it because you can't trust what you're getting on Google reviews. You can't trust what you're getting on Yelp. You can't trust what you're getting on Amazon because we've already delved into a lot of the stuff, especially Amazon, which I still find to be the funniest thing that the quality of their reviews got worse once they outlawed companies giving assholes like me free stuff to do reviews because it just made everything go underground. It's still happening. But oh, yeah. you just don't know. Yeah, there have been a number of, of fairly high profile stories this year of, uh, you know, Amazon getting into trouble because their reviews are fake. And then another story a couple months later where Amazon is shut, you know, they, you know, make a big deal because they want the press uh, publishing how they've they've shut down and banned, you know, 100,000 Amazon accounts that came from uh, an underground review purchasing farm or whatever right review bot Th- those farms. stories pop up all the time these days yeah well i mean amazon has to get their shit together because they still allow you i believe unless something has changed fairly recently that when you sell something on amazon and you and i could sell something on amazon our buddy gene is going to start selling some of his goods on amazon that you can at any time totally change that listing meaning i could go onto amazon and for a year sell the greatest drinking straw ever known to man and get a bunch of really good reviews and then i can turn around yeah well definitely not made of paper okay the only when it went to starbucks the other day which was like the first time in a year just (laughs) and now the straw is like one of those paper things and it's like no the best part about the paper straws is when they come in a plastic wrap well, just for safety of course that makes a lot more sense for the environment yes but you could then take that drinking straw listing and change that to a sex toy 
and Amazon doesn't care. The reviews still stay there. So if it was a five-star straw, whatever you post to that page now is going to have those old reviews and nobody even thinks twice like, why I mean, that's there- totally appropriate if it's a, now a five-star sex toy. Right. It could be. But it's like, why would you let somebody change the whole everything about the product and leave the reviews? It, it is absolutely nuts. But Amazon is not perfect, believe it or not. No, you don't say. You get good prices there. I mean, it's kind of like the whole argument that used to be with Walmart and mom and pop stores. And it's like, you know, I'd like to do business with the mom and pop stores where I can. But if I could walk into Walmart and get something for 20 bucks or the mom and pop store is selling it for 40, I'm going to go with the cheaper one. I know I'm a dick. Yeah, You asshole capitalist, you. I know. It's horrible. But, you know, Amazon, I'm waiting. There is an Amazon Fresh that is going to be opening, I believe, close enough to us that will put us in their delivery area. And I'm really curious to uh, to know how that works compared to the uh, to the stores that we've been shopping at now. I'm curious because Amazon does pricing pretty well. I know what they all just want to track you, but I don't really care if Amazon knows what kind of, uh, you know, eggs I buy. You will. They're going to come down. Well, no, actually, the the real downside to that is when uh, somebody as large and monopolistic as Amazon tracks which type of eggs people buy, then they will artificially put out of business all of the ones that aren't the one that they can make the most money on, which, by the way, may not be the best one for you. It's because they're not optimizing for you. They're optimizing for their own profit, of course. Yes. Yeah. And making money and, and, you know, tracking what you that's that's the thing about collecting consumer information, tracking what you do is not bad in and of itself, but what these companies and whoever controls the database, what they do with that information is not usually going to be in your best interest. And once the information's out there, you lose all control over what they do with your information. And by the way, they're, they're not just showing a stats page. They're, they're doing things like moving the market. They're doing things like, putting a mom and pop store out of business because they charge three cents more for a widget than, than the wholesaler across the country. Well, did you see Amazon just bought iRobot, the Roomba people? I did. Now they're going to know the layout of your house. Well, if you have one of those devices, <laughs> Not my house. you're like, my house is filthy. I don't have one. Of those I don't things. even know the layout of my house. <laughs> right. It's underneath a thick layer of clutter. <laughs> you have one too many drinks it's it's kind of like finding your way back to the bedroom can be you, you could use one of those devices be like Roomba lead me <laughs> no when when Roomba can carry me there you go I mean they could carry a cat so I mean your cats could really enjoy being driven around oh my god I, I'm suddenly imagining the feline freak out <laughs> and just hoping like if if that sort of thing happens in my house I only hope I have the presence of mind to film it yes yeah, and Blitz is right. The device will start telling people now that it's owned by Amazon, like, your sofa is kind of small. Would you like a larger sofa? Please click here. Oh my Yeah. Well, <laughs> it could be could be worse than that. Um I on uh well, on Angry Tech News this morning. So oh, was there a brand new Angry Tech News this morning available wherever fine podcasts are sold? Although there I was noticed- a brand new Angry Tech News this morning. It came out uh well, on, on everywhere that you find Angry Tech News, which right. is just the one website. But which is right. I, I do. I was going to ask. I noticed the other day because I was doing my uh, and I, I obviously I haven't done this in a while, 
but I go in to see when I'm on my iPad, whereas it's not a device I normally use for podcast consumption, but it's an easy place for me to see if there's any new reviews through Apple for my shows. And I'm looking and then I'm like angry tech news. And it's like, there's no such thing. It's like, you're not on Apple. You know that I'm not on Apple. You, you anti Apple. Are you kind of, I know rare encounter is they're like, fuck those Apple people. Okay. Crazy question. Have Have you ever done a tech podcast with me? Have I not heard the beginning of the show about (laughs) Apple, (laughs) but there's people that are listening that are on Apple. So, well, they need to get off of Apple. Everybody needs to get off. They need to enter. Well, yes, yes, we all do. (laughs) People who are listening on Apple need to enter the the modern podcasting 2.0 era of open distributed apps. Stop going through a gatekeeper. Apple sensors, they don't even display angry tech news. There are alternate things you can use on Apple, like Overcast, which I don't know if that'll find angry tech news or not. But there are other podcasting apps you can use on Apple devices. You can use... Anything that uses the podcast index will find angry tech news. And we highly recommend it using one of those apps. Yes. Cause, cause then you can send us sats. Yes. Oh, we, the streaming time for that transition. It's always, always beautiful. <laughs> I mean, the, that transition is we always need people to boost. It's yes. a, uh, we yes, are, we do. We are going through the Joe Biden inflation winter. I think at this point, which is uh, the sats are the, the, the dark the, winter that he promised us. Yes. The sats are down, but we do have some people to thank for today's show. We can do that now. Oh, I appreciate that. Which is a beautiful thing. This is a value for value program, which means we put these shows out there. We are adversarial towards each other. We complain, we snipe, and we just out have a verbal wars. Screw people you. Like You're that. wrong. We're not adversarial. <laughs> Look, that could be a that could be a show opening ISO right there. Uh, Sir Sean of the Allegheny Valley coming in with twenty five dollars, which has been coming in for a while, which um, I think started. Right about the time that the show split over to unrelenting, but Gene's been very clear lately that he doesn't want a donation. So I'm I'm moving Sir Sean's donation back to this program. Well, I'll take Gene's donations if <laughs> if that, I mean I'm yeah, fine with that. That's fine. That's a beautiful thing. We love Sir Sean. He donates to a bunch of our podcasts, and he is one of the guys that are out there now. And I hear his name on a bunch of different shows. He is one of the new, like Jay Finley. He's one of those patron saints of podcasting. And sticking through this when uh, a lot of people are falling off right now due to the Biden economy. So it's very much appreciated, Sir Sean. Hope things are lovely in the Allegheny Valley. Coming in, as she she promised, this was a new monthly donation. Anastasia Treckles with a $10 and 10 donation. We appreciate that. Our buddy, Sir Truck Driver, came in with a just a spray and pray donation which is uh, $5 for all my shows. And I missed it because I over when I did uh, Planet Rage with the lovely and talented Jennifer Buchanan, I forgot his donation and to uh, acknowledge it. But it's because my uh, workflow has changed because there were a few people doing that. And then there hadn't been any for a while, which one donation comes in and says, hey, split this between this show, this show and this show. So the way I do the donations, you now, have it so rough with people constantly donating to all your shows. It must suck to be. It is horrible. Now I go into the uh, my email program, Thunderbird Open Source, and I just type in the key phrase that comes when PayPal sends that you've got a donation, and that's how I separate them out. 
by shows when I'm doing the shows to get the attribution. Of course, that doesn't show up when one comes in for multiple shows. So I apologize to Sir Truck Driver for missing him over on the Planet Rage episode. But here we are on Grumpy Old Ben's and thanking Sir Truck Driver. Keep the shiny side up. Much thanks, Sir Truck Driver. And also a new monthly from Don Mills, five bucks. And the monthlies really help. I know yes. if you're a no agenda listener, you've heard this pitch a lot, which is the small sustaining, sustaining donation. Yes, it yes. is. It is very much helpful. Now, I mean, if uh, if Sir Animus of Dog Patch is out there and you just have a few extra, you know, envelopes full of hundreds. I mean, and he, you want to send no them, agenda. He, he actually comes in as a large sustaining donation. Yes. Yeah, like once a month uh, with hundreds in it. We're, we're looking for that guy for our show or gal. I mean, we're not we're not gender specific. I mean, yeah, I hear cold acid is rolling in money. Is cold acid rolling in money? I know he's got that. Well, uh, he's got a job, so. <laughs> which is really hard to believe, right? I mean, when you know cold acid. <laughs> well, actually, what amazes me is that somehow he's able to keep everything he talks about in our community yes. away from his job because otherwise he wouldn't have one in conservative Canada up there. I mean, you know, you got to be very careful. I mean, if they were, if they ever heard rare encounter, I mean, you could only have so much anime porn talk before they're like, uh, you're, you're kind of skeeving everybody out. I prefer my anime porn without talk. Do they, do they, uh, and, and also without anime, but go on. Yeah. Well, that's true. Do they say skeeving up in Canada still? I'd have to find out. But cold acid, I mean, I don't know. Is it is it correct to call him out? I mean, he was before the hiatus. He was one Always. of our biggest donors, like every few weeks, and uh, and crickets. I mean, I don't know. Oh well, then screw that guy. <laughs> yeah, we're done with you, man. We're done with that rare encounter. We've heard enough. They'll talk about this on rare encounter tonight. So, I mean, if you if you have anything you want, are you the rare kidding en- me? They don't they don't listen to this show anymore. <laughs> if you want the rare encounter audience to every, know anything. every time, every time on rare encounter, they're always like, well, you know, I noticed that grumpy old Ben's was on, but I don't like the time slot. And so I didn't listen because I'd rather eat lunch and I was at work and now I have a job and I just, you know, we so I don't know. And then they and then they end up covering the same topics that we already covered in detail only a couple hours earlier. And they pretend they didn't hear us covering it. Yeah. Yeah pretend but we appreciate everybody for listening to the show and everybody who can help us keep the lights on and the microphone sounding good go to grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate if you would like to take part in this beautiful this this whole thing that we've got going on here with value for value and if you've got one of those podcasting apps that will let you stream sats boost boostagram go crazy when dame jennifer says boost people really listen i i don't have the same effect as uh as jennifer does boost you don't have it either sorry i don't don't. (laughs) i know there's a lot of recordings out there i should really have those uh have those i'm sorry grumpy old ben's listeners i'm not dame jennifer no that's true but she may you know eventually replace you and me and everybody so well it looks like it's going that way it'll all work out judging by your poll your most successful show would probably be if it was just me and jennifer yes that seems to be the way to go we can set that one up. Only one has a good voice, though. Which one? <laughs> we'll, let, we'll have a poll about it's that. It's hard to too. tell. Yeah. We'll have a poll about <laughs> that one. Don't worry. Do not yes. worry. But that's how it all works out. I am. 
I'm not worried. I have no illusions. Well, you have a few delusions. Except for the ones that I cling to desperately. Yes. I have no delusions. Yes. Like the eighties were good. Well, the eighties were, I mean, really that's uh, see you, you cling to them also. It was a different time. I mean, it was really, it was a different time. And people say that you're like, ah, screw you. Everything, you know, technology has gotten better. I mean, we had so many, it was so much easier to get excited about something back in the eighties. Like, you know, Oh, television's moving to stereo. Oh my God. That's amazing. Now the fucking kids are like, it was amazing. If it's not in 5.1 surround sound and, you know, I was going to say, I remember, I remember when it moved to like 12 speakers and I'm like, I still only have two ears. Yeah. How does this work? It's amazing. (laughs) It's all about spatialization. I remember having an argument uh, probably a decade ago now when somebody absolutely swore to me that having 5.1 Dolby in your headphones was a far better listening experience than just running stereo. And I'm like, how many ears do you have? I know there are some gamers that will swear by it that you can hear if somebody's coming up from behind you. And I've never tried that out or experienced that. (laughs) I don't know how it would work in a small capsule, you know, with the headphones, because you're really a very small area. Now, I I get the only way that can work is if you actually have, you know, if you have different positional directions inside the cup which only works with the big over ear, but these, I think were yeah, anyway, maybe like that's earbuds, it. But yeah, but there's gotta be and, something and then the science. You're, you're not getting different sounds, but what you're getting is, is the sensation of sound on different parts of the skin near your ear. And that kind of might work. But, but again, the only way to do that, of course, is if you have the volume up loud enough, you're causing yourself hearing damage. Well, yeah, you don't want to do that. But hey, what the hell do I know? I only spent 15 years working on uh, perceptual audio and uh, audio technology. Now, I was never any good at audio production. Don't ask me to, to have made a song or a podcast or anything back then. But I knew the technology of, well, okay, never mind. I worked in Windows, so let's just <laughs> cancel that. I wasn't that good at it. But that was literally what I did. And I had people coming up to me. Well, if you have two speakers in your headphone, then that's better than one. I'm like, no, it's really not. But it's a great placebo. Yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to get angry notes about this one because there's still people out there who believe that. Well, it's like with your car stereo, man. Do you want bi-axle or do you want tri-axle six by nine speakers? You know, I mean, it's going to give you more of the sound, <laughs> man. Car stereo back in the day was a lot oh. of fun. A lot of fun. I mean, I get how you do multiple speakers and you get the immersive sound. I don't get quite how that works with headphones. But uh, our buddy NetNet Boost 4800 sat saying, boosting so that Sir Bemrose never does his Dame Jennifer voice again, ever, as in forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. I I promise I will never do it until I forget this promise. Right. It's like CSB keeps telling me he will donate to the show if you just post that you are not a Russian apologist. <laughs> I, I could post that. Is that all it takes? Yeah, that's what I'm he not going to change any of my behavior. Right. I mean, I told him you lie. So, I mean, I don't know if he doesn't understand that, but it seems like a contract. I don't know if he'll try to sue you or anything. He's not, no, he might withhold funds. True. Very true. We so, always appreciate CSB for listening and, and doodling things. I know he's doodling the, uh, is, is in, uh, you think he listens still? 
I think so. He he posted <laughs> a uh, little doodle and homage of uh, Jennifer and I on Planet Rage with me begging her to do a regular podcast because I love her more than my own wifey and Jennifer's character saying, you can't afford me boy. Well, I mean, at least, <laughs> at least that part's probably true. Well, that part's true. I, I, you know, I, I don't know that I necessarily would want to place bets on, on Jennifer versus Kim knockdown drag out match. I mean, you're both in Chicago. This could happen. And if it does make sure to put it up on pay-per-view, <laughs> Well, Jennifer, I'm not really suggesting the, anything. She's a Chicago. Well, she was here for a while. Now she's in. Uh, oh, South she's not there. Anymore. Carolina. No, I mean, I yeah. know the wife. So she escaped. Yes. What's your excuse? I'm still here. The <laughs> not much of an excuse. I don't know. I never I did. We The topic with Jennifer did not come up as to whether or not she was packing heat, which the wife does, which is a very good indicator of who would win a fight. Yeah, that seems important. It does seem you got to have the. Uh, well, let's just all pray that we never have to learn the answer to that question. Exactly. We we do not. So I, I get the violence. feeling that if Jennifer, if Jennifer draws on somebody, it's it's game over. Like she doesn't seem like the kind of person who does that frivolously. No, take no shit. <laughs> Very much in the uh, that Larry Show vein. Yes. So, do you need yet another reason to sanitize your metadata and documents that you put out? Ooh, now where is this going? Uh, actually, okay, so this came from a blog that I've actually never heard of, but it, it definitely looked like a news story. But it it looked posted legit. to posted to Hacker News like a news story, so, you know, take of that what you will, called Darknet Live. But uh, they dragged up a 2014 debate between uh, David Cole of the ACLU and General Michael Hayden. And, um, what they, the, the, the money quote was, uh, Cole brought up the NSA surveillance dragnets that either violated the law or used a secret interpretation of the law and talked about how these spy agencies can know everything about a person through metadata alone. And in response, Hayden said, well, that description is absolutely correct. We kill people based on metadata. What now? We, we kill people based on the metadata they produce. This is, you know, general head of, what was he, CIA or something? What kind of metadata is he talking about that they're using as a reason to kill somebody? Well, I don't know if it's reason to kill somebody or just reason to find people or what. But, um, I mean, this is, this is a, a very corrupt government that I don't trust. And uh, uh, this was uh, 2014 a government official saying, uh, uh, an official in the Obama administration, in fact, saying uh, we kill people and we either, you know, use it as an excuse or we find you based on the metadata you're leaving in documents. Good to know. Don't use any documents. Yeah. So don't leave um, any metadata. I, I don't have much here. And it's, it's a 2014 debate and things may or may not have changed. I think they got a lot worse since then. But um, I guess what I'm saying is uh, it, this is your monthly reminder to go ahead. When, when you release documents, go ahead and, and run a metadata sanitizer, especially when you post pictures. Like oh, yeah. if you post pictures to somewhere like Facebook or Instagram, they will take every bit of metadata they can find. They will put that in the database and they will use that as if it's just more information that you've provided them so that they can sell you ads and sell you out to, well, anyone who's willing to pay. Well, I've been railing on this for how long, especially with people that leave GPS coordinates in the photos. That's bad. Not good for your privacy. 
Yeah, well, maybe that's how they locate you. Maybe. You you know, if you post a meme, they kill people based on metadata, and maybe it's the GPS coordinates you left in that meme when you created it <laughs> that tell people exactly where to send the drones. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't doubt it. I just thought it was a money quote that I wanted to read and wanted to remind people that if you are putting things out, especially pictures, videos, or whatever, to make sure that your tools are not leaving information in the metadata that will personally identify you, that will give your physical location, that will, uh, you know, if, if you, if you put out an RSS feed that has invisible text that says fuck Tim Apple, then, um, you know, you <laughs> might get kicked out of Apple's index, that sort of thing. Yeah, well, you have to know what's in all of these files that you're sharing, whether they're photos or whatever. And I know with you can do this manually just using Windows Explorer, but there are other programs that you can get that will well, go there's, through there's specific cleaners out there. Right. That, that will just strip whatever. Now, I don't know which one of those won't take all your data and harvest it. So I can't really recommend one. If somebody has, I one, wouldn't they... use an online one. If that's what you're saying, right? Do not do that. Uh, <laughs> that would not be a good way to protect your privacy, but know that the stuff you're posting online or the stuff that's syncing to the cloud is a really bad idea. And you know, I've talked about that with, uh, you know, parents, you don't know what your kids are doing when you have your kids posting photos all the time whether it's where they're out and about or you know at home now if you're doing this while you're at home and the gps is turned on well then anybody that can find those photos can know exactly where you live yeah it's not good and and you know are you at home well let's go ahead and take this one which is the bathroom selfie of the person looking in the mirror and making a retarded face with an insta filter on it yeah and download it and oh look here's the exact gps coordinates and uh it's not just you know it's not just if, if like yeah what am i saying i don't know I, my brain not here i anyway have you had too much coffee too little coffee probably not enough i ran out of coffee this morning oh but i know where I'm to sorry. find more uh I guess what I was going to call out is the things that can happen if you're giving out that metadata. And it's not just that general Hayden will, or, or Obama will send a drone at you. They you know, might. He might still do that, <laughs> yeah. even though he's not president anymore. Well, no, but, but it's all oh, this whole Trump thing goes back to a presidential executive order that Barack Obama put out that changed how presidential privilege is handled. He made a change. And this is what we currently have, which for whatever ungodly reason, lets these current sitting president decide whether or not a previous president's presidential privilege, say that quickly, is valid. And in this case, Biden is saying Trump's is not. And <laughs> this is going to lead up to politics that are going to go ape shit when a republican well, if it ever happens gets into the it white seems house like every every single time there's a switch in the guard and this is this is the danger the the president office of the president has way way too much power now congress has abdicated everything they're doing uh you know the the president and more importantly the administrative state have way more power and it's 
you want to know why elections are so contentious? It's because of just how much you control if you win. Imagine how much less contentious elections would be if you if if the president were actually limited by the Constitution. Just a thought. He kind of anyway, is, what, but nobody pays attention to that. I finally remembered the scenario I was going to give, and that is if you're if you're giving a selfie in your bathroom and you post and you've got all this metadata, there's already um, a lot of bad choices in that scenario. Well, there are, and but but this is the kind of thing that happens. But it, it, as as any uh it, you know young attractive female might know, or certainly should freaking learn early and earlier than later, um, there are some real creeps out there. And you don't have to worry just about Obama droning you if you get if your GPS up in that selfie. There might be a dude who's like, oh, she'll love me forever if she just knows I'm here. And then uh, now suddenly knows where you live. Right. Which we covered that a story that happened on uh, Random Thoughts. The girl's name was Ava Majorie. And I think since this happened. She has disappeared from social media. So I finally applaud that for happening. Okay. Then she's made a good choice. Yes. This was the one that a stalker showed up at her house with a gun and her dad killed the stalker. Her dad was sounds like justice was done there. Yes. I mean, but the stalker was like, okay, maybe he didn't deserve death, but yeah, he was a confused 18 year old. That was, uh, I guess a little too believing into the, the world that the internet provides, which is not reality, folks. I think everybody listening to us so wait, knows what that. What you're saying is that he got all the way to 18 and somehow his state level education did not prepare him for the real world. Correct. Wow. Believe it or not. Who knew? The educational system is failing on so many different well, levels. I don't necessarily think that somebody like that deserves death. No. Boy, you know, maybe maybe fire answers is appropriate. I'm but not if sure. you show up with a shotgun at somebody's door and like kick it in. Okay. You, yeah. You show up armed at, at my house. At least you're getting a load. Yeah. I mean, if you're lucky, and maybe if not you the survive, kind you want, <laughs> you're probably gonna you're probably gonna feel it. And <laughs> at the time, the girl's parents were like, well, we're not going to let this. You know, other people keep her from doing what she loves. She loves the social media. She's met so many great people. And I'm thinking you're insane. Then just strip your metadata already. Yeah. Yeah. Not (laughs) let people know where you live. I don't know exactly how it was tracked down, but I can only guess that was a part of it because people do not think. Now, if you live somewhere like downtown Chicago, well, you can have yourself out and about and it's hard to track you down. But if you live out here in one of the suburbs, you know, uh, there's only so many places you can be, you know, when you show yourself in front of these areas and you could really not, it wouldn't be hard to triangulate somebody by what they post. So you have to be very careful. This is, this is why I, you know, I always practice security. I make sure that nobody can tell where I am unless they go through well, public government databases that probably give my address because I own a house, but whatever. Right. <laughs> Which is why people who are really paranoid, and I have not gotten to that point yet, have them in the name of like a trust in somebody else's name. And uh, oh, yeah, there are ways. Uh, to do you know, that. If, if you're looking for another podcast, the uh, the privacy and OSINT podcast, I'm probably mangling that name with, uh, I want to say Michael Bazell, uh, who I mean, it, he he himself is it works in effectively in the industry of 
no, really, we do want privacy. And he's always giving tips like, uh, if you want to live somewhere and, uh, you don't want public documents telling that you live there because, and he's, I mean, in the scenarios he's coming up with is, is what if, for example, you're a mob informant right. or something you, where and, you really uh, don't want saying, to be well, found, you know, the, the real, you know, the, he says thing like you can put an alternate name or the name of a trust on the lease, but the power company is going to want your real name. And uh, here is how to create an LLC to get around that so that the power company is paid through different channels and you don't have to put your name on. Like he is giving tips like that. And it's, it's an amazing podcast telling you about privacy. You know, I rant and rave on both of my podcasts about how you should care about privacy because it's important. And, Here's some really basic things you can do with your everyday life. Um, this guy takes it to a whole new level. And if you are actually concerned, like I, to my knowledge, I've never informed on a mob boss. And to my knowledge, I don't have a fatwa put on me by some Muslim president or something. But if I did, I would have to take it to the next level. And this OSINT podcast is, it teaches you how to do that. Yeah, it's the difference between being off the grid and being off the grid. Those are different things. Really being off the grid. Taking every last uh, step that you can to try to insulate yourself, you know, beyond just all of the very simple stuff that we talk about. There, you, you want to uh, you want to go those extra steps. If somebody might be looking you know, to kill you. It's good advice. Yes. And and you might have even done something to deserve it, but would you really want that? No. I don't no. know where I'm going with that. I don't know either. Depends if you have a fatwa out on anybody. Did, you, did we ever take one out on Rare Encounter? I, I thought it was coming the other direction. No, well, that's why we took one out in their direction. It was a big I mean, misunderstanding. You, don't, you don't know what kind of contact that Abel Kirby has. Yeah. I mean, but now there's a hitman somewhere in Cortis, and then he's just looking. He's looking <laughs> for a guy, you know. You know, the weird things that get talked I don't about on podcasts. Anything at all. You know what? We should talk about the '80s again, or or even better yet, we should probably find a way to end this. This show. How do you normally end these shows? By telling people I not to listen to Rare Encounter. Tell somebody disconnect me. <laughs> how do you get disconnected? I tell you, I don't know. They doc. I, oh, the Marjorie Taylor Green got doxed last night. Says a uh, Baron Spud the Mighty. This is getting uh, to be a popular doxed? thing. Okay. Um, what I had read was that she got swatted. Which I guess would make sense because that's happened now. I mean, what I think it's in double digits for Tim Pool. Uh, Gene yeah. keeps me up on that on unrelenting. How how exactly have like the police agencies, law enforcement, not clued into the fact that swatting is a thing, and maybe done just the most basic amount of due diligence to find out whether or not the thing they've been told is actually happening before kicking down doors and shooting dogs. No, I don't think they've been shooting dogs or kicking down the doors with Tim Pool, but this conversation was had, which said in the case that a call is finally legit, the worst thing possible would be to have you get swatted, get swatted, get swatted, and then there actually be a madman shooting people on the property and somebody calls it in and they're like, ah, yeah, we're not, we're not coming. You know, I might have moved too far down the anarchist side, but Maybe. if the madman starts shooting on my property, I'm going to shoot back and yes. I don't want the government involved. You're like, I'm not calling it because, until it's pick up a I few bodies. Because I feel bodies. like the government makes everything worse by showing up. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, 
I don't doubt that for a minute that the best call to make is the one that said, hey, yeah, I had a shooter here. Yeah, you need to come pick up his uh, pieces that he's in now on the yeah. on the ground here. Uh, can you send a yeah, team? I, I used my cannon full of grape shot. He's a mess on the wall, and uh, <laughs> you need to come and collect what you need to ID him. Yeah, <laughs> that's the best way to go for the government. You do want the government to come clean up the brains off the wall if they can. That's not something you want to do on your own. So the maid service. For- yes, the, the FBI. That's what the FBI should be. Maid service. <laughs> Yes, they come clean up the messes once we've gotten be to like, yeah, once you got that cleaned up, maybe, you know, if you do figure out why he decided to come after me, let me know. But, you know, it's not super important. No. <laughs> well, again, this is why we always preach people need to be able to take care of themselves. And uh, being armed and dangerous is one of those things. If somebody's going to break into your house, the police are minutes away and you don't have minutes. Yeah. It's absolutely true. But the swatting thing, I mean, I get it. That's uh, you have to show up. But I said you would think you'd be able to have some kind of way to contact a known person at that location. Like in the Tim Pool case, uh, you know, give them a list of one or two people that they could call up and be like, yeah, we got a swatting thing. Is this legit? And uh, at least know what you're going into. See, that seems like a, you know, reasonable course of action that you might try yes yeah i mean okay but if you call and nobody answers then then you okay, gotta go might be up yeah yeah but yeah. if you call and somebody answers they're like no it's fine then i mean due diligence obviously you'd be like okay and uh and your name is okay are you one of the hostage takers no okay then we're good <laughs> i'm one of the gunmen <laughs> but i'm having a gay old time out here so if you guys could give me a few more minutes yeah that would be great that would be absolutely great. Oh, yeah, no problem. Uh, at the moment, our, our response time is three to six weeks. So you're good. Yeah. What well, was it on this show? Was that, that the, we talked no, about? No, it wasn't, wasn't this show, but you were, you were definitely going on about Chicago's response time. Yeah. The amount of calls that were emergency calls that were not getting answered. Oh, my God. Again, be prepared to take care of yourself. And if the police show up, then they can just do the cleanup on whatever's left. If necessary. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense. I mean, if you were smart and invested in tarps before somebody broke into your house, then you might not even need them. You have to have like the automatic tarp thing. So you press a button and they all just fall over your furniture and stuff. So you ain't get no uh, bad guy brains over them when they come through the front door. All you need is a big speaker on the inside of your house that plays the unmistakable noise of a shotgun cocking. And most people, if they're at your front door, will run the other way. With a music bed right of the Valkyries. (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) Then it's like, hey, if you make the mistake of coming through that door, that would be a great soundtrack to just start uh, unloading with. But I digress. Turning very violent. We we should digress all the way. I feel like. I feel like we've regressed too much on this one already. Yeah. With that said, we will have another show next week and it'll be fun and exciting. And maybe it'll be about tech. You never know. Uh, you know, one can only hope <laughs> we could. You can't, you can't do all of them about tech. Really? We can light candles. So, we can have a prayer vigil. We'll find out what all, uh, what all goes down. With that said, we will be back next week. On Wednesday for another one of these exciting grumpy old Ben shows, join us at 1 p.m. Central. 
on the mighty No Agenda stream. Until then, I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where I am armed and possibly dangerous. And from America's left coast, where we used to lick batteries for fun, I'm Ryan Bemrose.